Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 6th of February, and this is Govind Rajatri Raj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top stories and themes for the day. India's biggest initial public offer at $3 billion could be from a Korean company. Stock markets go into tracking mode, swing between global and local queues. Is the government dragging its feet on PSU privatization because their stocks are doing well? And India's sports sector is seeing more investments being committed this time from JSW. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. Markets swing as they seek direction. So the US Federal Reserve is now hinting that a rate cut is further away from March, being the month the financial world was hoping, expecting and maybe praying for. No rate cut means money will stay in the Western world or flow back there, including from emerging markets like India. Speaking of emerging markets, China is on the receiving end of prolonged battering, even as the government there has apparently stepped in to stabilize falling stock prices and more of that in a moment. Indian markets stayed flat for most of the day and suddenly swung downwards towards the end of trading hours on Monday with the BSC Sensex closing down at 71,731, down 354 points while the Nifty 50 ended at 21,772, down 82 points. Financials were particularly hit. Financial services, the highest weighted of the 13 major sectoral indices, fell about 0.6% after gaining 1.7% in the previous week the best in two months, according to calculations from Reuters. Emerging markets were generally affected with the MSCI, or the Morgan Stanley Capital International's Index for Developing Nation Currencies, fell marginally after the Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said that the United States may have to wait beyond March for the central bank to cut interest rates. Back in Asia, Chinese stocks were caught in another volatile session on Monday following last week's hammering as investors assessed the latest pledges by policymakers to stabilize the slumping equity market, according to Bloomberg. The CSI 300 index, which most people track, ended the day slightly higher after dipping about 2.1% earlier. More broadly speaking, some $7 trillion has been erased from the value of equities in China and Hong Kong since their peaks in early 2021. The China Securities Regulatory Commission said over the weekend it would guide more medium and long-term funds into the market and crack down on illegal activities including malicious short-selling and insider trading. There's a lot for a regulator to say, including the fact that it would guide funds into the market, but I guess difficult times call for unusual responses. And I also wish that regulators didn't only think of short-selling and insider trading when markets are crashing. Back home, how indeed are fund flows looking at this point and what are investors buying into and to what extent are investors staying invested in India? Remember, foreign portfolio investors have also sold about $3 billion of equities in just January. I spoke with Sonam Srivastava, fund manager and founder of Right Research in Mumbai, and I began by asking her how she was looking at flows in the last month and onwards. If you remember that after the state elections, right, we saw a lot of uh, positive flow coming into the equity markets, which seems to have become muted because the rate cut expectations in the US have also, you know, they might not happen in March, it might be delayed by a lot. So the flows that Indian market was expecting on the back of it might not come just yet, right? And so this has been interesting, but definitely I think foreign investors are definitely buying into the India growth story by putting the money into debt 
with debt that they get you know the safety of the fixed income instrument along with the high earnings that they are able to get in the india market plus with the growth story and indian economy becoming stronger you have credible instruments to invest in so one of the insights i mean depends on if it's a correct insight from some fund manager or some fund managers is that a lot of the selling is happening for example in financials of which there are only one or two which obviously are seeing more selling than the others so is that reason why we are seeing you know fii equity sales at such high levels or relatively high levels yeah so i think we are you know the reserves that came out of hdfc bank which sort of were a dampener could be one of the reasons why we are seeing a lot of selling financials definitely have been under pressure because the expectations were quite strong from the sector and the numbers did not match up to it for a fair bit and uh, see with the budget coming in i think things could get better for the banking segment for sure because the government is incentivizing lower yields so i think that definitely could be one of the reasons but again i think uh, the rate cut expectations they are also of forming uh, they also are correlated right because i think the flows move along with uh, the expectations of rates for sure right right so you're saying the primary factor that will determine flows will be interest rates in the united states which of course will be determined by the federal reserve yes because people i think right now are just again fleeing towards the safety right because there is a level of uncertainty on when the rates get cut and how are you seeing domestic flows on from your own experience and your own funds ah oh, the domestic flows i think have been positive in this month even last month was so a lot of positive domestic flow and we are seeing you know a lot of positives in the market right so give you a background the strategy that we run on the pms they, they closed last month with upwards of 10% odd returns right and we are seeing a lot of people definitely getting interested into strategies that give you active exposure on differentiated sectors and people do expect the growth story to actually deliver and give exciting returns in the next few years so there is a level of excitement for sure but yeah people are getting aware about the valuations people are aware about you know the risk that could come in we end up having a lot of interesting conversations with our clients so you're saying that people are more aware of both valuations and inherent risk in prices because of i'm assuming one reason being valuations than they were let's say a year ago yes every client that i would talk to has a question on how are you going to manage the risk what happens with the market correct is the valuation high or not so i think that concern is definitely there but that's not stopping people from investing right now is what i would assume the answers are fairly similar but in your understanding when you're talking to clients the key reason that they investing today is it because they're trying to let's say get away from bank deposits or other forms of less yielding instruments or is it because they genuinely like equity uh, so i think it's a mix of both i think everybody has sort of bought into the growth potential that indian economy is going to present and and it's really exciting that majority of people are looking at it for the long term they see next few years to be good for the market and you know a short term volatility is something that people are working with so i think it's a mix of the strong expectation that people have with the economy and you know higher returns that this market can provide right sonam thank you so much for joining me thanks a lot for having me india's psu stocks are doing well is the government of india dragging its feet because of that A big question on the minds of analysts and financial journalists like myself 
is the fate, path and direction of the government's disinvestment or privatization program. While the government put out a fresh target of about 50,000 crore rupees to be raised through disinvestment in the interim budget last week, it did almost sound like a consolation prize given what could be achieved. Now, that of course depends on a more fundamental question. Does the government of the day want to get out of running businesses or does it want to stay in them? And more so, is it being tempted to stay on because stock prices of PSU companies, including banks, which it owns, are rising and quite phenomenally so, as we've been pointing out on The Core Report. My colleague Pushpita Day of The Core caught up with Tuhin Kanta Pandey, a 1987-batch Indian Administrative Services Officer who took over as the Secretary of the Department of Investment and Public Asset Management, or DIPAM, in 2019. His job, essentially, is to push forward with disinvestment and privatization. He is the IAS officer from the Orissa cadre is credited with successfully completing the much and long-pending sale of the national carrier Air India to the Tatas and overseeing the listing of the national insurer, the Life Insurance Corporation, also discussed and debated for years, if not decades. In a longish interview, the full version of which you will find on www.thecore.in, my colleague Pushpita also asked him if the government was going slow on disinvestment because PSU stocks were performing well in the markets. So, value creation is, is dealing it from the point of view of saying whether you will privatize or not. Huh. It doesn't mean that, you know, if it is, uh, you know, giving, not giving any value, if it is in a very bad state, then only we will privatize, otherwise not. It's not that. It is, again, contingent on several factors. When I say privatization is not like doing a tap, you have to do, a, you, I hope you know the process. Yes. You have to call for expression of interest. Huh. You have to do a public thing. Then, you know, there will be a parties who will be selected. They right. will do a due diligence of the company. Right. Hundreds of contracts, hundreds of things goes, goes into that examination in a virtual data room. Then, you know, the, there is a draft share purchase agreement needs to be negotiated. Then after that is frozen, then the financial bids are called. Right. Then there is a reserve value fixation. If you exceed a benchmark reserve value, then you can choose the best winner. Then there are a number of condition precedents which need to be fulfilled hmm. through different regulators and other actions. And then like typical M&D transactions, in a typical M&A transaction, it is a very long time consuming and you would have realized even in private sector, so many M&A tra transactions also, they are started but they do not fructify. Right, right. And then they fail. Hmm. Because if all, till the last moment, till the time of share transfer, hmm. all the different contingencies may come in and lead to a success or failure of that transaction. Because there the question is passing control. Right. The easier thing is when we remain in control, but we are only diluting a certain portion of the shares in the market. Right. Hmm. That's easier done. But there also we have to keep in mind this value principle. Hmm. So we are highlighting that and we are also highlighting the difficulty in the privatization, the process itself. So essentially it will not be that, you know, you can do 50 organizations together. Hmm. You, there are many, many places where there have been no bids Oh. We have some, in some cases, we have done four bits in Pavan Hans. We, we were successful only at the fifth time in getting through the process. Even there also, that particular bidder, they got uh, penalized by the NCLT. And we had to call off, although he was selected. Oh. 
the examples are before proceed. So privatization essentially will have to do this, all this bail's work. Shipping corporation, we are dealing with demerger issues. Air India, we had to do all this restructuring first. Because otherwise, Vasant Vihar colony, what Air India, new airline people, why they should pay for a Vasant Vihar colony. Right. Okay. It's not worth, no, the, the whole airline is not worth the heavy real estate price which the Vasant Vihar colony has or Air India house at Nariman Point. That has to be separated. If it is a listed company, it has to be separated legally. So we have been telling about the nature of the process. So privatization process is a longish M&A transaction contingent on several factors. Slowly it will, when those transactions get going, some more transactions will come. But then when we are saying that is investment numbers, it is like a, like a tap you are saying that we are able to close so many things together and then put the number and then our fiscal deficit will be managed. That is what we are saying we shouldn't be doing. And we should continue to have that. Oil goes more local. A trend that was highlighted to us by Vienna-based Victor Katona of Kepler Intelligence last week is gathering momentum. A fall in tanker traffic through the Suez Canal is splitting up oil traffic flows between one trading region around the Atlantic Basin and including the North Sea and the Mediterranean and another encompassing the Persian Gulf, the Indian Ocean and East Asia. There's still crude moving between these areas via the longer and obviously more expensive journey around the southern tip of Africa, but recent buying patterns point to an increasing disconnection, according to Bloomberg. Crude loadings from the United States to Asia, meanwhile, have fallen by more than a third from December, according to ship tracking data from Kepler. Now, this is not likely to be permanent because at some point, the tensions in the Middle East should ease, but these disruptions are there for now. Oil tanker transits through the Suez Canal were down about 23% last month compared to November, Kepler said in a note released January 30th, reported by Bloomberg. And the drop was even more pronounced for liquefied petroleum gas or LPG and liquefied natural gas, LNG, which fell 65 and 73% respectively. Meanwhile, flow of diesel and jet fuel from India, mostly from refineries or rather one refinery on the West Coast and the Middle East to Europe and European fuel, oil and naphtha heading to Asia have been most affected. Asian prices of naphtha, a petrochemicals feedstock, hit the highest in almost two years last week on fears it would become tougher to source it from Europe, said Bloomberg, adding that the delivered cost of oil to Asia from the United States, where production is surging, by the way, and as we've been reporting, rose by more than $2 a barrel over a three-week period in January. And finally, to cap it all, Brent crude is now quoting at about $77.26, which is below $78 and which is obviously below the $82 to $83 that we were seeing in the last few weeks. The energy segment of the core report was brought to you by India Energy Week that starts today in Goa. For more details, log on to www.indiaenergyweek.com. Jindal's JSW says it will invest heavily in ports. 
private port company JSW Infrastructure, which claims the spot of the second largest commercial port operator in the country, says it's earmarked some 6,000 crore rupees for acquiring strategic assets, aiming to increase its presence in an industry presently dominated by the Adani Group, according to the Mint newspaper. JSW, part of the Sajjan Jindal Group, has nine port concessions or ports as of December end 2022 across India and two terminals at Fujaira and Diba in the United Arab Emirates. JSW is apparently exploring the acquisition of a stake in a government-owned port slated for privatization and a move obviously aimed at enhancing port connectivity as a senior executive of the company told Mint. He also said that they had amongst the strongest balance sheets in the infra space and they had sufficient and perhaps good headroom to expand. Ports in general is a sector that's seen considerable action as we've been reporting in the core in the last few months. Many port projects that were held up for various reasons and in some cases for decades are seeing the light of day. India has 12 major and 200 non-major intermediate ports under state government administration. JNPT or Jawaharlal Nehru Port Trust near Mumbai is the largest major port in India while Mundra is the largest private port in Gujarat. India is also amongst the world's top five ship recycling countries. The Maritime India Vision for 2030 has identified some 150 initiatives to boost the Indian maritime sector. Many of them obviously involve infrastructure. India's biggest IPO could be from a Korean company. When Hyundai launched its Santro car, the first version of its tall boy design on Indian roads in 1998, people used to stare at it incredulously and usually start laughing. Was this a car or what? The Korean car maker grappled with this and worse reactions elsewhere in the world when it first launched at that time or around that time, including in the United States, where at one point a Hyundai car was almost like a bad word. Much water has flowed under the bridge since. Hyundai Motor is planning to list its Indian unit to raise about $3 billion in what could be the country's biggest IPO. Reuters reported yesterday, adding that the company was in early talks for that IPO and has already held discussions with several banks. The fundraising by Hyundai, the second biggest auto company in India with a 15% market share, would value its Indian operation at about $30 billion, which is more than half its market capitalization of $42 billion in Seoul where its parent sits, according to Reuters. Shares of the company apparently soared 5% on Monday to their highest in nearly three years, Reuters reported, adding that a valuation of up to $30 billion would put Hyundai's India unit behind rivals like Tata Motors at about $41 billion and Maruti Suzuki at about $40 billion. In 2023, 239 companies raised about $7 billion via IPOs in India, according to Reuters' LCG data. India's biggest IPO was the 2022 listing of its largest insurer, which we just spoke about, LIC, in which it raised about $2.7 billion. Hyundai came to India almost 30 years ago and has ramped up in the country, almost against all odds and of course against Maruti Suzuki, who had an early entry advantage. Going IPO, if it happens, also reflects a higher level of commitment by a company, and in this case Hyundai, to the Indian markets, because obviously that would bring far greater scrutiny and, of course, make it more of an Indian company than it was earlier, given that shareholding or a good part of it would be dispersed into the hands of Indian shareholders, particularly retail. Hyundai has said it plans to invest close to $4 billion in the Indian market in parts over the next decade to launch new electric vehicles, charging stations and a battery pack assembly unit. Part of that money is apparently being invested in buying a former General Motors plant to help it expand its production. Elsewhere, share prices of Tata Motors, India's most valuable car maker, hit a record high on Monday, 
rising almost 7% after it reported a more than two-fold increase in third-quarter profits driven by strong sales in its Jaguar Land Rover unit in the United Kingdom, according to Reuters. On that note, on an automotive high, as it were, have a great day ahead. See you tomorrow. That was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter for our exclusive stories, one in-depth feature a day on www.thecore.in. Do also track us on LinkedIn, where we usually post synopsis or extracts of our top stories and interviews. We would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant, including, of course, India's vibrant manufacturing sector. So write to us at feedback at the core.in. And thank you once again for listening. <laughs>